All right, let's, let's pray. Open word of prayer and get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, most importantly, we thank you for Jesus, because Jesus is the reason for this season. Lord, that he, you are no longer God away from us, but you are God with us, God Emmanuel. Lord, we just rejoice in your great mercy and your love and grace that you have for us. Bless us in this time. Bless us words that come forth from my mouth and the hearers of it. Let, it, uh, let us apply it to our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there is on your, sheet, on your table a sheet that has uh, the questions for the night and our references. Um, I do have a few, and I'm actually probably going to try to throw a few more out at you as I go along. And then if you don't have, by chance, have your Bibles, the Bible scripture is on the back. Try to make it convenient for everybody. Uh, but we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7. And just so you know, I read from the English Standard Version. Uh, so if you have a different translation, that's great. But this is what I read from. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And maybe the scariest verse in the entire Bible. Verse 23. And then, when, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this is the word of the Lord. Tonight, the, the, the focus, I think, tonight is that what I've titled on the sheet. It says, beware of wolf, or probably wolves. In sheep's clothing. Uh, I did not get hired because I have a degree in English. I got hired for my good looks. <laughs> and that's why my mom has, tells me I have a, voice for radio, a face for radio. Um, th th there is a, there's a warning here that Jesus is trying to get us to begin to think about our, our congregation. Right, just before this passage, Jesus gives us the warning in verse 13 and 14. It says, enter by the narrow gate. Right, for the gate that is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So that's the warning to everybody. That is a warning to the entire church, to actually all of humanity, that if you want to find God, the way is hard and the gate is narrow. For as we know in John 14, he says, For I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. But here he's beginning to make a shift because it is within his view of the people and around him that he is not only 
Right When he started the Sermon on the Mount, it was just his disciples. Beginning of verse chapter 5, it says, And he went up the mountain with his disciples. And then it says, shortly thereafter, it says, A crowd came. And we knew that every time Jesus started preaching, the Pharisees would show up. And they would always have something to say. So I think, this is Josh's interpretation, is now he's beginning to see the Pharisees and the scribes in the back of the crowd. Right, because he's already described them already. He tells them how nice they dress and how they act, and they've, they 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 want to hear what he's saying, but they don't want to get too close in hopes that maybe they assume that they're one of them. And maybe he even points in that direction: beware of false prophets. See, prophets have been used by gods from the beginning. Yeah, we, we see prophets being used in Genesis and Exodus. Uh, Moses was considered a prophet. There was many great prophets who went through the kings. Uh, oftentimes, life for a prophet was not good. Uh, many prophets lost their lives because they proclaimed to the people of Israel and the kingdom of Judah what the Lord was saying, and the people rejected it and would kill them for it. But very often there would be false prophets, prophets that would say, well, no, 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 that's not what the Lord means or that's not what the Lord says. And so this warning comes out to us. And so the, the first thought we need is to beware. Beware false prophets to, as they are coming to you. And who's the you here? That is us. That is you and me. Because they're going to come in and look like us. They're going to talk like us. They're going to maybe smell a little like us. But deep down inside, in their hearts, they're here to devour. And they're here to divide. And, and so this is kind of what we need to keep in our minds that these false prophets, many of them ha- are out for selfish gain. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, won't turn there, but the reference is there. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul actually calls out these prophets or these false teachers who are in the church who are doing things against him. He actually says that they are, many of them are preaching for selfish gain and ambitions, meaning they're out preaching the gospel for money. They, they feel that people are going to come hear the good news of God for a price, that they're willing to pay extra so that Maybe God's going to bless them if they sow a little money into this ministry or do something extra or give a pledge. I have to be honest, as I was prepping this message, I found it to be very hard not to specifically call out people. Uh, I want to be the last person to point to say that person is a false teacher or that person is a false prophet. But I I do believe that as you hear these words of Jesus and what he is challenging us about, you will, someone's going to come to mind. And and this is what we're challenged to beware of because there are, there are two things I'd like us to consider. One is this, I make mistakes. I, Josh Corbin, a pastor in your church, I make mistakes. (gasps) I know, someone breathed, my son breathed real deep on that one. I might misspeak. I might misinterpret. I, miss, I might take a scripture out of context or misapply a, a scripture to, to a situation. In fact, we, we all do regularly, I promise. We, we, we often find a scripture and we go, oh yeah, this is what God's telling me right now. And God's going like, no. 
However, so, so, don't, so if you hear a preacher or a teacher, uh, whether it be here at Grace or somewhere online or, or, or maybe at another church, don't, don't be so quick to jump on, on the heretic train saying, oh, that person's a heretic or a false teacher. So we make mistakes because we're human like you are. I, I don't know if you knew that, but just, you know, that might be a little surprise. But we make mistakes. But a, a person, because if I were to make a mistake, if I were to read something or explain something in a way that was wrong, I, I've, I have done it before. I've, hey, you know what? I said this and that wasn't right. This is what it means. But some of these teachers, they will stand up with this big smile on their face. They're going to say, God told me blank. God gave me a new revelation about blank. God said this scripture no longer means that. It means this. You see that? There are people who look real good in suits and real pretty on television. And they've got great smiles and great charisma. And they tell you these wonderful things, hoping that God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and blessed. And all hopes that you are going to sow money... A seed into their ministry and all that happens is they're driving flying in private jets and driving Rolls Royces and unfortunately some of these people give Christianity a really bad name because they, they make us think that we're just greedy it was a couple years ago if you've been in Grace Family Church a few years there was a Pastor Craig every February does a financial series and I think it was two or three years ago he and Pastor Matt uh, go off on this adventure. They ride off in a Porsche and they go to a Learjet to 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 fly to Mexico to have tacos. It was some kind of it was, but it was this one guy's dream that he was where his tithe money goes. What does this mean? And and that's tr- simply not true. Uh, we at Grace are very open about our finances and where our money goes. But we and we tithe of our own receivings. That which you tithe into us and I tithe myself. We tithe back into the community. We give to the Dream Center. We give to other ministries. We give overseas. But these people, these false prophets are going to do things that are going to lead us astray. Ultimately, these false prophets, these false teachers, and eventually even some false Christs are going to come to lead us down the wide path. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 24, I want to point out what Jesus says. Matthew 24. The the header might start with at verse 3. says, signs of the end of the age. But in verse 5 it says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. There are people coming to say that I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Anyone familiar with Jim Jones? Georgetown? Or Jonestown? It was, he was a man who, who told many people that he was the Messiah, and there was a mass suicide where 900 people, women, children, and men died believing that this man was the Messiah. And there's been numerous other cases where, where people have proclaimed that they were the Messiah, not just in recent history, but in years and, and decades past. And they're going to lead many astray. And then if you flip down a few verses, verse 11, Jesus warns again, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who doors to the end will be saved. There is a warning that these false prophets are going to rise up and many people, 
from many churches and denominations and creeds are going to go, wow, this guy is amazing, and just start following blindly and be led astray. And unfortunately, what's going to come out of it is, is lawlessness. That within the church itself, there will come people who begin to accept a, a lax theology, a weak morality, and, and it truly will just breed lawlessness. I had this conversation the other day with a friend, and, and we were talking about when the gospel gets planted in many places, particularly where the gospel is not yet, uh, China, uh, different parts of Asia, Central and South America, Africa, as the church grows in these communities, a lot of the sin decreases. But how is it that here in America, where we have more churches than anywhere else, that the sin places, the adult establishments, are almost equal to the number of churches? It, it, it's, it could be that, as Jesus has warned, that these false prophets, these False pastors have come in to preach a gospel that does not produce repentance, that does not lead to obedience and confession of sins and change of life, what it means to be born again, and is leading people astray, thus producing lawlessness. And ultimately, the love for one another is no longer pure love, God's love, but it's, it's love of self. And as Jesus says, the one who endures the end will be saved. One more time in verse 22, it says, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as many are as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. The first time I read this, see, I told you beforehand, I thought he was actually referring back to uh, Matthew 7, which it might be. I really think he says, I'm, this is a warning of what's going to happen in the advance. But look, we, we, Jesus is describing these false Christs and false prophets as people who are going to do great signs and wonders. So when we flip back to chapter 7 and we read about the know them by their fruits, this can't necessarily be good works. These prophets, these teachers, these false Christs will come and do great things and they will look like good people. That's the scary part. Is that they're going to look so authentic. But the reality is that they're really one degree or more off. Because as we know that in, in the Bible tells us that it's from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And, and I really think it, it has more to do with where we are rooted. And, and the word's not there. Right? Any farmers in the room? Anyone done agriculture? My son's planted tomato plants. That's about it for my house. Right? We, don't, we, I, we have no green thumbs. We have black thumbs and brown thumbs. We plant things and they die. But if you look at verse 17, so therefore every healthy tree bears good fruit and every diseased tree bears bad fruit. So, so if, if we're looking at an orchard of trees, orange trees, so I'm from Florida, we have lots of oranges, and, and you look at acres upon acres of orange trees. Realistically, a good orange tree from a bad orange tree doesn't look all that different from a distance. But the thing that really makes the difference about the tree on how good its crop is, 
is the soil that it's planted in. Does that make sense? So, so the, the soil in which a healthy tree is planted in will bear the best fruit. Because the tree that's not planted in anything but sugar sand, as we call it here, just that fine sand that has no nutrients in it, doesn't hold any water, produces very poor fruit. I think that's eventually where we're looking ahead into verse 24. Jesus says, he who hears these words of mine, he is like a tree planted, or he is the man who built the house upon the rock. I think there's the foundation in which we are placed into that will dictate the fruit we bear. Because if these two trees look very similar, and, and, and maybe in winter they look exactly the same, in spring they look very similar, and then but come harvest time, has anyone bought a sour orange thinking it was a regular orange and bit into it? Has anyone ever made that mistake before? That's a terrible mistake to make. Where I live, I used to have an orange grove behind my house, and it had grapefruit, and it had tangerines, and it had sour oranges. And at about the age of 12, I would hop the fence and run through the orchard and just collect all the fruit. And I'd just get a big shirt full and come home, and I'd just start tearing into citrus. And I'd eat the grapefruits because I knew what they were. They were nice and big. I'd eat, I'd eat the, the, the tangerines because they were a little small. But there was two other oranges. We had these kind of like these um, navel oranges and then the sour oranges. And to be honest, if you weren't paying attention, they look a lot alike. But you know for sure when you bit into that sour or orange that that was the most disgusting thing you've ever eaten. Now, I'll give you that there's some, some great people who use the sour orange to make some wonderful food, but that kind of ruins my analogy. But we know that, but on that surface, you're looking at it, it looks good, but when you eat it, it's sour. And I, and I think that's where we begin to have to, then what are we looking at these people? And I think as we look at these false prophets and these false teachers, what we're seeing is what they're saying, what they're doing in public and in private. And maybe more so in private than in public. It, how, how are they living their lives? And, and I'm, I'm not against having a nice house or driving a nice car or going on good vacations. I, I believe we all should rest I work very hard, you work very hard, so if you can afford to go to Paris, and I can afford to Paris, and we meet in Paris together, it's not bad that I'm a pastor and you're not. Does that make sense? It's if, if I save my money to go and you're saving your money to go, that's not bad that we both ended up in Paris. But when the, the, the greed and the, the way we spend our money and the way we're exploiting people for that good, that is the deed in private that comes unknown. The other thing that I think we should see and we listen to is their words. A false gospel, as, as, as Paul warns us in the beginning of uh, Galatians chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it real quick. He gives this warning uh, to the church. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Uh, in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one have been preached to you, let him be accursed. 
the, 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 there, there was already beginning. This is, this is like 60 AD. This is 30 years after Christ, and the gospel's already becoming distorted. So how are we, 1900 years later, any better off? We're not. We, we just, it's the, this, it's the game of telephone, right? You, you, if I started a message here and went, went around the room, by the time it got back to me, it would probably be completely different. But that's why we hold fast to the scriptures. But a false gospel will do, I came up with a few things. Number one, it changes God. It changes who God is or who Christ is or who the Holy Spirit is. There are two Christian, very loosely, denominations, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, who claim to be Christians, but they deny either divinity of the Holy Spirit or the divinity of Christ. So therefore, they preach a false gospel because they have changed God, right? So some of them believe that Jesus is actually an angel, and some of them believe that they were not actually, that Jesus was begotten by, just as we were made, Christ was made. They add something to the gospel. Well, you believe in Jesus plus, give money, since that's my running example right now. You, you believe in Jesus and you have to do uh, these set of rituals. You have to believe in the gospel and you have to do works. Thank you. Right? That becomes a false because it's not anything but Jesus that saves you. Ephesians chapter 2. You can more than welcome to turn there. This might be my favorite two words in the entire Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it starts with this. My Bible says, but God. See, the verse is just before that tells me I am dead in my sins, and I'm a child of wrath. And then verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Do you know what dead people can do? Nothing. Which means your salvation, your life, is all because of God. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that the coming age he might show him the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? So, so our salvation in Christ is what Christ has done on the cross in our confession of faith. Period. Now, out of that comes obedience full of faith and love. I don't want to get ahead of myself. There also then would be something, a false gospel would remove something from it. A false gospel would remove something. It would remove the, 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 the resurrection. It would remove uh, the divinity. It would remove the cross. It would remove the second coming. It would remove the church. It would remove, it would remove something from the gospel that makes the... Does it make sense? So, so either you change, ultimately you're changing who God is. You are adding something to it like works. Or you're removing something that would devalue it like Christ's resurrection. There's, there's actually a whole progressive uh, liberal uh, theology that says Christ never actually rose from the dead. 
They deny the resurrection altogether. He was a great teacher and a good man, but he never resurrected. That's, that's just hocus pocus. It's all make-believe. And so that is a false gospel. So a false prophet will come to, to pervert the gospel, will change and lead many astray. But as I said, the Bible is actually full of it. You'll see it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1 and 3, all of these places warn of false prophets. I think there's another beware for us, and that's beware of yourselves. I think we need to beware of what we do, what we say, and how we live. I think that it's important that we, as 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 says, examine yourselves. Right, the, the idea is, it, Paul's actually talking about communion, and, and some people are getting sick as they are partaking communion, and he says, you need to, you're, not, you're eating it un, uh, unfit. You haven't examined yourselves. You haven't d- looked in and said, God, where am I sinning? Why am I partaking in you and where I have not, but I have not confessed? One of my favorite Bible verses, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do in word or deed, or whatever you eat and drink, do all to the glory of God. This is hard. It's easy for me to say. It's hard for me to do. But if here's the challenge. Whatever you're about to do next, do to the glory of God. And if you can't do it to the glory of God, then don't do it. Like I said, it's really easy for me to say, but it's really hard for me to do. It's hard for me to drive down the road without maybe getting angry at the guy that just cut me off. It's hard for me to not begin to covet what someone else has. It's hard for me not to begin, become anxious when something is wrong with my finances. It's, it's hard for me not to begin to uh, lust if I see something inappropriate on television. Right? The, the temptation is going to come. And for me to say, yeah, I'm going to watch this really gory, nasty, hyper-centralized movie without to the glory of God. That's why I don't watch a whole lot of television. But do you see it where, where even whether it changes the music you listen to, the shows you watch, the jokes you tell, the conversations you have, the places you go? That really should be the question and the challenge for us as Christians. Is the next thing you're about ready to do going to honor and glorify God? It, 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 it's, my wife always says, well, that's just, it's so easy to say, but it's hard to do. She even says it. And, and, you're, and it's right. I, I just want to affirm that this, it, because all of a sudden, as Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7, I love Romans chapter 7. If you want to turn there, turn to Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is getting into this great dialogue of the sin nature. And if you look... Um, Verse 18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. This is Paul, the greatest writer in the New Testament, the world's largest evangelist at that time, maybe ever, the true catalyst through, through the Holy Spirit of the church to the known world and beyond. He says, there's nothing good in me. He's saying this about himself, that there's nothing good that dwells within me. For I have desired to do what's right, but I not the ability to carry it out. Right? And in the verse 21, he says, five, find, or no, sorry, verse 19, he says, For I do not, do not do the good I want, 
but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. For if I do what I want, if, if I, 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 this English is so hard. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So in our pursuit to do what is right, evil is lurking at the door. It, is it, it's actually, I find it most interesting that the times that I feel like I'm the closest to God, as soon as I, I make that turn, evil smacks me in the face. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Oh, no. Okay, good. I'm not alone. And, and that's why I think we should, we need to be constant in examining ourselves that we do not find ourselves telling others what to do or what not to do because of the life we are living. Because we ourselves do not want to become false prophets or false teachers. There's a warning in 1 John 2.19. It basically says, if they were um, of us, they would have stayed with us. But because they went out from us, they never belonged to us. And so that's why we have to stay in community. This is why we have to be vigilant of ourselves and each other. So here's a question. How do you test? Right? I'm sure that's what you're all asking. How do I know a false prophet when I see one? Uh, Paul says this. 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to get to that. 2 Timothy 2. Starting in verse 15. It says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed Rightly handling the word of truth. So handling the Bible. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. And if any of you are in the medical profession, you know that gangrene is not a good thing. Actually, the word here is very similar to what we use for the word uh, cavity. It's like the cavity in your teeth, like if you don't treat it. Or it's also associated with the word cancer. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And these were two men that we don't know anything about, but somehow they were in such bad company of spreading lies and irreverent babble that Paul tells Timothy, watch out for these two guys. So be warned. cooking through time i knew this was a big topic so lastly it is this it is that they come to we know them by their fruits we we know them about their their words their deeds in public and in private and we watch and we are vigilant we read our bibles we pray we ask questions I, I would love it if actually all took my notes after today and went home and said is josh telling the truth and if I'm not, send me an email saying you messed up on this. Because I, won't, I, don't, I want to continue to learn myself. But each of you are responsible for what you receive. So even on Sunday, I, I love Pastor Matt and Pastor Greg and I believe in them. But we should always be ready to go, hmm, is that true? Not, not because we want to label them a heretic or anything like that. Not because we want to ridicule them. Or, but because we are responsible for ourselves. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 1 Corinthians 16, 
13. It says, be watchful. Not the same word of beware, but very similar in meaning. Be, be on guard. Be looking out. Be aware. Don't just take it as it is. Stand firm in the faith. Be willing to be rooted in the faith and fight for it. Now, here's a phrase that might not be well received, but it says act like men. Now, I think some people have taken it one way, but the truth is, is the word man here, men, actually means grown up. It means be a full grown adult, be mature. And I think that's important for us. And maybe there was a better way to say it, but you know, the Greek word translates to men. But the idea here is there's separation from adolescence to adulthood. That for us to be ready to know, to grow up in the faith, don't be like little children like it tells us in Hebrews who only drink milk, but we should be ready for solid food. That we should continue to grow in our faith, and it's your responsibility to do it. Amen. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. And be strong. So let us finish verse 21, 22, and 23. This is why it could be difficult to identify someone who might be a false prophet or teacher. It's because just what verse 22 says. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not teach in your name? Did we not declare your word? Right? That's what they thought they were doing. But clearly they weren't. Did we not cast out demons for you? I mean, we did things in this. We did spiritual warfare in your name. And we didn't we not do mighty works in your name. We, we healed the sick and took care of the, the poor. And we did these things. We played church. Literally just we did what the church told us to do in ritual and tradition, but with no heart. Think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. If I, if I gave all I had to the poor but had not love, I'm nothing but a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. So do you love Jesus? Do you earnestly love Jesus? Do you want to spend time with Jesus? This, and this doesn't mean that your whole life and all your mind and all the time you're consumed with Jesus and what he's doing. But, but do you earnestly love him? Do you say that I love the Lord? I'm excited about Christmas. If I didn't get a single present or set up a single Christmas tree this year, could I still say Jesus is the reason for the season? Because that's going to be the question. Because verse 23 says, I never knew you. Right? The, the, the challenge here is for us to not just know of the Christian life to live, because some of us might have been raised in the church and we know how to play church, but do we know him? Do, do, does he dwell in us in a way in which we know his voice, right, as the good shepherd, right, that he calls out our name and, he, and we respond to him in love? Right, because I, I had it written down because what happens is there's, we have to beware of moralism versus holiness. Right, see, moralism gives us the letter of the law and it's a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. But unfortunately, moralism is obedience without faith and love. Where holiness, we do it at the desire to please God because we want to be his children. 
and it's full of love and full of faith. I do want to think something really cool to me that, that I, I noticed. Number one, uh, Jesus declares himself Lord. This is, I don't know if this is the first time that he actually proclaims himself as God, but when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, meaning that Jesus is given an example that in the last days, he's going to be the man standing at judgment. That Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus right here in this, he's telling the crowd, when you die, you're going to face me. I am Lord. I thought that was really cool. That's a free one. That's a bonus. And, 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 and here we begin to see this change that Jesus is no longer some good teacher, but he's actually beginning to rise into his divinity as God. Right? Not, not all that long ago, he was baptized, and the, the voice from heaven came, Son, this is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. But now he's beginning to telling the people that he is the Lord. That he is the one who's going to stand in judgment, right? Because that's what verse 21, 22, and 23, right? I will declare to them, the only one who can do that is God. Therefore, he's declaring himself as God. Saying, I never knew you. Depart from me. He is the one who's going to send people into eternal condemnation. So one more time. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. And be strong. I need you. I earn, yearn for you all to, to know the scriptures and to search them and to know them. Because there's many people today that are going to lead them astray. And as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter, or no, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 4, 3 and 5, he talks about in the last days, people steer away from true teachings but want words that tickle the ear. And it's very easy to hear things that are pleasing and uplifting and kumbaya and feel good and yay, everything's going to be perfect if you just believe. You know, when I wish upon that star, right? that kind of thing. But it's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. Marriages are hard. Death is hard. Disease is hard. They're, we're going to face hard things. Does God still love you? Yes. Is he still good? Absolutely. But in those hard things, we have to rely on the love of God. Because the world's going to tell you, if you just pray and you just believe and you just declare it, it's got to be good. But what happens when it's not good? What happens when, when, when what you're praying doesn't come true? Does God exist? Maybe not. He didn't answer my prayers. Does God love me? Probably not. He didn't answer my prayers. Am I even saved? Probably not because he didn't answer my prayers. That's where your theology goes. As opposed to say, regardless of what comes, right? That's, I'm getting ahead of myself, but being built on, being that house on the rock. Because the winds are going to come and the winds are going to blow. Are you going to stand firm in the faith?